start date 999.9999. More nines, Deep Space Nine, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Welcome to Star Trek Discovery Pod, the kind of smart, kind of funny podcast about new Star Trek and beyond. I am your reluctant captain, Mike Garcia. With me on the view screen, we have Mariah Gossett, Clyde Haynes, and Redshirt Grant. Hey, Redshirt Grant. This week, we are live on YouTube, on Twitch, on Facebook, on Twitter, covering the seventh episode of Star Trek Lower Decks, Much Ado About Boimler, an episode I'm happy to report that was not all about Boimler, as I had feared. <laughs> why, do you so hate, before, why do you hate Boimler so much? He does. Though. Hey, we'll get in. Boy, me we'll up. Get in, we'll get into it. So before we dive into episode seven, Mariah, can you tell our listeners, viewers, how they can support the pod? Yes, please make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or YouTube. If you would like to see links to everywhere this podcast and our live videos are available, you can find all of that at StarTrekPod.co. You can also support us over on Patreon.com slash StarTrekPod. Go there to make a $2 an episode pledge. You can join us on our exclusive Slack channel and get exclusive access to when we do little uh, reviews of the Kelvinverse movies or the old, um, what was it called, uh, TOS series movies? Genesis The original movies. series, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Gold star. Anyway, uh, Patreon.com slash StarTrekPod. Hey, Grant. Yeah. You know what I love? Me? No, but oh. I do like when people talk and they talk to us, especially live on the pod. That's you one like my me. favorite. You take that back. <laughs> I love you, Grant. Oh, I love you too, buddy. No, but so if you're watching live on YouTube or wherever, hey, you know what you can do? You can comment, let us know what you're thinking. You can ask us questions, and you can do that by typing capital P, capital O, capital D, capital pod in the chat, and we'll try to get to your questions at the end of the show. All right, let's slip into our black spy body socks and dive into this episode of Lower Decks. Much ado about Boimler. Again, not all about Boimler. <laughs> You're so key on that detail. Hashtag Boimler sucks. Episode Whoa. seven was written by M. Willis and directed by Barry J. Kelly. This is the one where Mariner's old Starfleet Academy buddy, Captain Ramsey, takes a temporary command of the Cerritos while Tendi recreates John Carpenter's <laughs> The Thing. Um, Rutherford reminds us all about those wacky transporter accidents that tend to happen on starships all the time, and uh, Boimler is there, too. And if you're new here, you're probably familiar with other podcasts giving their hot takes on things, but since this is Star Trek Discovery Pod, we do not give you hot takes. We give you hot freaks. Hot freaks! <laughs> all right. Grant, let's hear from you first. What's your hot freak on episode seven of Lower Decks? I thought this episode was great. Once again, it seems to be pushing in the right direction for me. We're getting more revealed about Mariner and her trajectory, why she's resigned herself to being um, an ensign and is kind of shirking off this inevitability of 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 her command destiny. She's extremely capable and just tries to botch the job when she's working with her friend on assignment. Um, I thought it was pretty funny what they explore with Boimler and the freaks of the, of the Star Trek universe in that they are all kind of relegated to this ship. It looked like there was some sort of play on, is it Captain Pike who's in the, the chair? Yeah. I think that's what they were doing. Um, and I, I was even kind of getting some of those references. I thought that was pretty funny seeing all the different people in there and how how Starfleet does handle situations like that, which in the end was a little bit heartwarming. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, I think overall how all of that kind of played out. I, I like that Tendi and Rutherford were actually separated in this storyline and I thought it was to their benefit. Overall, this was just a really fun episode. That's my take. Nice. Mariah, let's hear from you. Yeah, I just wanted to say, first of all, there was that like shot of all women sitting in command seats during this episode. And I just went, oh, 
I love it. <laughs> and so that was like my one big hopeful takeaway tonight. Um, and yeah, I overall, I did like this episode. I do wish at this point we were getting maybe a little bit more from Mariner's backstory. Like what is the why, or at least a hint as to maybe what the why is for why she doesn't want to move up the ranks. Um, because there's obviously something has happened to her where for us to get to this big shift where she was this straight A student, you know, a stellar um, person at the Academy. And then is now just like, obviously still a badass, but a badass who just sort of doesn't care about accolades and grades and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm hoping we get something there that isn't just like burnout. Cause it feels like it should be something bigger plot wise for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked that in this episode, we did get a little bit of some darker sci-fi feeling things like on the um, farm ship. And, and I thought the humor playing with that at the end was very smart and funny. I also loved the reference to the original um, animated series with the, the captain of that ship. I thought that was fun and I'm glad we're getting to see some of those characters from the animated series again. Um, but I, I did have one big thing um, in this episode in that I think Trek had, and maybe we can have a larger conversation about this, but I think we always talk about Trek being this like utopia where everyone is represented and we see very little representation of the disability community throughout Trek. And so it's like this whole episode, they're being called freaks. And like, obviously these are from accidents and like, I get that it is a comedy show and why some of those jokes are being set up that way. But I do wish we got to see some better resolution for characters besides Boimler to show like, Oh, folks who are disabled are just as important as other people in this community of Star Trek. And granted that is asking a lot from an animated show, but they are the ones who went there. We don't get to see what happens to characters uh, on, on Trek shows if there are these big medical accidents. And so I'm like, well, if you're smart enough to get there, and to also layer so many references in this episode, it is deep. Um, I just wanted more. So yeah, mixed bag for me personally. What do you think, Clyde? A little bit of a mixed bag for me as well. Um, <clears throat> but I'm starting to understand what lane this show is in. And for that lane, as long as I can make sure that I'm looking at, at that, it's great. The issue is... Um, one, I think it's really challenging to move the plot consistently forward in a 30-minute format with so much going on, kind of from the Trek franchise. So what the show ends up being to me, and I think this episode w- was kind of the model for that, is we're getting a little bit of pe- pieces, some comedy, but it's still not this cohesive story, right? As a result, I'm really excited about uh, October 15th. Because we're going to get back to like real storytelling. And so I, and and that's not a shot at this show. I love the Mariner piece, right? Though I thought I got, there wasn't a whole lot of surprise. Like I was, I was looking and going Mariner as this nervous screw up. That doesn't feel right. So show me when she becomes a superstar again. And then I got it. And I got a great explanation for what's going on. But to Mariah's point, I would have loved some more backstory about why. We, they keep teasing us, but right now it feels like this big gap. She clearly has all this experience. Mariner's a superstar. She's incredibly capable, but she refuses leadership at every, t- at every turn. And she's been in a situation where she had leadership and almost voluntarily got demoted. And anytime someone tries to promote her, she sabotages it. Great, but why? What happened? Right, we're seven episodes in, and I don't have any clue. Um, so I'm getting a little bit of the same things, though the storytelling is interesting. Um, but I do get to. I, I think that I'm just enjoying the. I don't want to say poking or making fun of, but exploring some of the Star Trek tropes. Right, like. Yes, if you go back and look at Star Trek, there are a ton of science accidents all the time. And then either there's a medical miracle and it's resolved like right there, or we never really see that person again, right? They're shipped off the sick bay and we never hear from them. And so I thought it's like, well, what happens to those people when they go off screen? Fantastic. 
And then it did have this dark twinge of like the farm. And then we're rapidly transported back into, well, it's Star Trek. So there's everything's happily ever after, right? That's all interesting, but I'm still trying to see when do I get my super team up? I got a glimpse of it of it this week where where Mariner was like, Rutherford, I need you to do that thing you were doing, and you're the only one who can save us because you're a rock star in Lower Decks and nobody knows. Super cool. Um, but the story just didn't... I'm looking for the, the story. I'm used to storytelling, and I'm, I'm not getting it. So I say all that to say, there are these bits and pieces that I'm enjoying, and I'm trying not to pull on it more. As long as I can just focus on sit back, watch, and enjoy this, I'm happy, but that's all it is to me right now. Yeah, I'm with you there, uh, Clyde, on the uh, sit back and watch and just kind of enjoy what's on the screen. This this episode was a lot of fun. I thought the um, the stuff on the ship with the freaks was the most cartoony this show has really gotten. Mm-hmm. Um, not in a great way. Uh, Badgie? And Mariah, Were you here last I, week with Badgie? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, with that, that was on the holodeck, so right, there was right. a layer there that mm-hmm. worked for me. Uh, but here, uh, what I mean by cartoony was that there was no depth in that subplot at all. It was just kind of a one-note joke. And while I did enjoy all the uh, the references to, like, Pike in his bleep-bloop chair, bleep-bloop, and... Uh, it seemed like the salamander guy was maybe a reference Voyager. to that episode of Voyager mm-hmm. where um, Janeway and Tom Paris turn into salamanders who fuck each other and have babies. Yes. Great episode. There's Grant. also... Uh, you should watch that uh, one. No, thanks. <laughs> yeah, there's like a lot of callbacks in some of the, the quote, freaks on the on mm-hmm. the ship to so many episodes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, Mariah, I'm with you on the, uh, on the dis- disability issue. I was wincing at the word freaks. Uh, during this, for sure. Um, and it was pretty cartoony. Uh, before I dive into it more, I wasn't here last week. I want to say I did love last week's episode with that weirdo Fletcher almost getting everyone killed and failing upward like some some men do. And uh, Rutherford and Tendy being terrorized by Badgie, the homicidal holodeck monster slash helpful talking back. How can I help you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to cut off your foot. Uh, (laughs) That was probably the funniest episode of Lower Deck so far. That one really leaned into the weirdness of Trek, which I loved. And that's kind of what I liked about this episode, too, episode seven. It really leaned into the weird in a super fun way, like with the dog. The dog was named, Which is named The Dog. The Dog. Like Perfect. I said, it reminded me of John Carpenter's The Thing and how it is probably the creepiest thing I've ever seen on Star Trek, this side of a board that smells like old trash bags. So there was a lot more weirdness on the Division 14 ship, obviously, although I did wince at the Freaks thing. I The nods to Captain Pike and all that was really fun. It's a lot of fun seeing the show poke at these tropes, right? The trope of like what really happens to all these poor souls when weird, nonsensical Star Trek space catastrophes happen and things go wrong. And apparently all these victims end up uh, in the Florida Keys. So there you go. Like there was really nothing there. You know, it was funny, but there was nothing there. Uh, But I really loved the kind of deeper character stuff with Mariner in this episode. We like you guys, I'm a little frustrated. We didn't get to the heart of her issues with rank and command or what in her past has caused her to be this coaster in Starfleet. But seeing someone from her past call her out on some of her shit and having the show kind of lean the character more into a place where she might actually start dealing with her baggage down the line was great to see. I also thought this episode did a good job of using all the main characters in fun ways, even though Tendi was kind of the least served, again, uh, character-wise. But she was still pretty funny. Uh, all in all, this was a good one, even though it seemed like I was griping about it. Uh, I really did enjoy it. 
Yeah, Mike, I think I, I did enjoy it. But the Tendi character, I think something that was kind of just poking at me a little bit is we get this itty bitty glimpse that Tendi doesn't understand the stuff that the rest of them understand. It was just this, this thread out there. She's like, it's a dog. Like I created, everybody else would create this thing. I created this normal dog. And yet she thinks a dog can do can do all this other stuff, can talk and can float and stuff like yeah. that. And we didn't pull on that thread like at all, right? And but I'm I, concerned that we won't. <laughs> I thought yeah. it was just kind of a cultural difference. Thing, well, yeah, yeah, tell me right? more about that though. I want to know, like, tell me more about her Orion culture. Like, dive in about her upbringing and things like that. And I don't think we're going to pull on that thread like at all. I mean, I thought it was like the like a smart character build personally mm-hmm. for Tendi. Like, yes, she's the the least utilized i think member of the cast thus far maybe we'll get more of her as it goes on um you know we don't know yet we haven't seen the rest of the season but i think that's where i see like i learned something new about tendy in every episode whereas i think a lot of the other characters i learn the same thing over and over again and so i appreciate when there are those small lines because i'm like just give me a nugget i just need like a little nugget and i know for mariner we the the nugget we got this time was that she was this overachiever at the academy but it it almost felt implied because she's been this like person who keeps not wanting to move forward which to me means she has a past where she did really well um you know it was it was solidified here and we are also maybe i'm eating my own words you know it's like we are learning all of these small pieces of mariner along the way i just want like it could be a dumb line where it's just like, yeah, but then this thing happened. Like I need like a line that's like pointing to something. I think we're getting there. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I agree. I think with you, Mike, I think we are getting there, but I just, um, I don't know. I love Mariner a lot. Just give me 45 minutes of Mariner so I can get what I want. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. And Mariah, this is a podcast. It's okay to eat your own words. Nom, nom, as nom. we all do. <laughs> um, so how are we feeling about the show playing with all these Star Trek, tropes and like straight up continuing to riff and parody on specific old Star Trek episodes like large swaths of this episode featured homages to the classic TNG two-parter chain of command mm-hmm. that's the one where Picard and I think Worf and Dr. Crusher go on a secret spy mission and they wear those black yep. sock suits like Freeman Ransom and Shax did in this Still episode which I thought was a great gag <laughs> Of course, Picard, Crusher, and Worf were, like, spying on evil Cardassians. It was really dangerous. And on Lower Decks, they're just planting seeds. Who knows? Maybe Maybe that's the cover story. (laughs) Maybe they're going to plant a seed. Who who knows if that opportunity will present itself. Yeah, there is, like... (laughs) even more mundane. It is. They must just do a punch-up of... of references on these scripts because there's so many like almost throwaway lines that are also references because Mariner says at one point mm-hmm. babysitter Jellico type, which is literally mm-hmm. a reference to Edward Jellico, who was the captain. Again, that mm-hmm. and that's from the same episode, yes. <laughs> uh, Chain of Command, in which, yeah, Jellico is the is the asshole captain who takes over for Picard, and everybody hates well, him. Well, um, even in the, I think it's a lot of. I think it's a lot of fun and having these references, though. And Lower Decks, I think, matches its obsession with poking fun at these Trek tropes with some genuine laughs and a lot of fun character dynamics. And like in this episode, some slightly deep character stories. I think it's balancing it all pretty well. Uh, Clyde, I want to hear from you about that, how you feel about it straight up riffing and parroting old episodes. And of course, Grant, who has no idea what these references are for the most part. Well, I think it works because it's animated, right? Like the format helps a lot. I think if we were looking at a parody that was live action, I think I actually might be pissed Um, because it would feel like you're just, you're ripping apart something that I care quite a bit about. Sure. Um, but because it's it's done in this medium, it, it's like, hey, it's it's almost feels a little, I don't know, like inside the family. It's it's kind of like, you know what? I can tease my brother, and my sister can tease my brother, but 
our neighbor can't tease our, my brother like that, right? Like, it, and that's what this feels like. Is that it feels, underlying respect, right? Well, it's just it's like like I, I you're not quite in the family. This feels like we're making fun of of each other in mm-hmm. a real family way. So w- when you hear some of these lines, you laugh because you know you're like, yeah, I get it. Like at the very beginning, it set the tone when Mariner says. Like, substitute captains are the worst. And you all go, well, if you've watched Star Trek for any period of time, the minute that the substitute captain comes on or the admiral takes over, you know it's, like, they're always the bad guy. They're always the foil (laughs) of the villain. And so, yes, substitute captains are the worst. And so you just kind of go, yeah, you're right. Um, And and so the medium, I think, helps a lot. So to me, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, we're all laughing at the same inside joke. We're all laughing about our manager who does the weird stuff. But it's okay. Like, it doesn't, it really doesn't bother me. And I think when I look out kind of online, I'm not seeing Star Trek fans just in uproar like they could be. So it's working like they are about all the other new properties. All the other stuff, right? <laughs> right. Um, you know, you're right. I don't get all of the references, but I do think it's interesting. This is the second or third episode where you guys have mentioned that there's a lot of direct parallels between a plot in this in the show here with a very specific episode of like a previous Trek thing, which makes me wonder if if all of these have a particular show, each episode has a particular episode of a show that they were using as a little bit of a framework reference as a, what if we took what the, what was happening with the plot there, but we reexamined it through the lens of what people on the lower decks might be experiencing in that same realm. Um, because if this one has a lot of kind of parallels to what, what you were saying with that TNG episode, and there was a, one a couple weeks back where you're like, you can look at like the frame of reference between this. I think it was like the, uh, I don't remember which one now, but that just seems kind of like an interesting approach to this that allows them to kind of even layer the, the references in even further. You you know, what's going to be really cool in the off season of this show. It's not going to be me, but somebody is going to put together a list of like the five episodes you need to see before watching this episode of Lower Decks. Mm. <laughs> and that's going to be amazing, right? You're going to go back and you're going to watch, like, I'm going to watch this episode of Voyager, this episode of D- Deep Space Nine, these two episodes of TNG, and this one episode of, of TOS. And then you're going to watch those, and you're going to be like, okay, great, great episodes. Then you're going to watch this episode of Lower, Death, Lower, Lower Decks, and you're just going to laugh your head off. And I think <laughs> that is going to make this incredibly rewatchable. I think it's doing a good job with all these um, references and uh, homages and like, you know, balancing out what it's really trying to do with these characters. Um, But Grant, to your point, I don't think there's one specific episode of old Trek. Every episode of Lower Decks is trying to frame itself around. It's just a mishmash of stuff. This one was specifically pulling, though, from definitely one episode of TNG with a bunch of other stuff mixed in. But all this referencing is fun and funny, in my view, as an old Trek fan, but I feel like it's something that the show will kind of work out of its system. Like, it won't have 10 references every two minutes in season two. I mean, they know? got enough material, though. Like, there's mm-hmm. so many episodes of 90s Trek they can pull from, and, like, they've barely scratched the surface of all the references to, like, the original series and to the animated series. So, um, you know, I think thus far they've been pretty I feel like it's been pretty smart because I'm not like you know the deepest of cataloged Star Trek like viewer you know like I've watched every episode probably once but it's not like I can automatically bring up the reference I definitely have to look up articles to figure them all out but it's like every once in a while you're like ooh, that word ooh, that word I'm gonna look that up what is that one let me double check that you know yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, the first Contact movie, which was a huge love letter to Star Trek and had a lot of references and stuff to older episodes while also being um, accessible to a mass audience. I feel like this is this is kind of like that. It's kind of in the same territory, but it's also 
much more of a parody, of course, and a satire than anything we've seen before. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, yeah, when when uh, Boimler is on a ship and uh, there's a bunch of weird freaks and it does the tone doesn't really jive with Trek, eh, it's a cartoon parody. It's fine, you know. Um, I want to dig into Mariner and Ramsey, Captain Ramsey, our uh, our cool babysitter captain. I thought Ramsey was a great foil for Mariner. Uh, I think her presence in this episode started us on a path uh, that we want, right? To learning more about Mariner and what her deal is, which I am so here for because I find Mariner to be such a great, compelling character. And you know there's that deep backstory of why she is the way she is. So... Did you all like that pair up in this episode with uh, Ramsey and Mariner? Yeah. And I thought it was, um, you know, at first I was like, what is going on with Mariner? Honestly, the way they introduced Ramsey, I was like, please tell me this is an old flame and this is going to (laughs) be, do you know what I mean? Because it was very much that like, oh, I'm a beautiful queen captain. And like, (laughs) at least she floated animatedly onto the screen. Um, but I'm, you know, I think it's fun that they were old uh, academy friends, and um, I think it's smart into playing into that workplace comedy scheme. It would be like if you and a and a good friend went to the same college, and like years later you met up, and like one of you was the better student, but has not ended up in the same place. You know, when you meet up at like conferences and things like that, and you're like, oh man, this is awkward. Um, and I think Mariner's having that, like, this is awkward thing. And so she, you know, maybe is a little nervous at the beginning to live up to this reputation and then sort of sees the scheme that is happening and moves forward. That was definitely a bit of a, a twist for me. I, I saw it more as like, oh, she's finally being faced with someone who's more capable than her and it makes her nervous. Yeah, I I, I agree with that, Mariah. And what was exciting to me is, we saw someone who was Mariner's equal mm-hmm. for the first time, right? Like this is largely the Mariner show, right? In terms of who is the most competent, talented person on the ship. It always feels like it's Mariner. We got like that one episode where it was like, what's his name? Um, a ransom, you know, ransom, you know, was able to step in and say, I've got some experience, but nobody believes that he's better than she is. Right. right? Um, But now we've got someone who really felt like it was her equal and their friend. So it's not like it's a competitive equal, you know, or a rival. And it helped us see her in a slightly different light. So I loved it. I loved the addition to the show. I wish they could have fleshed out and made it a little bit more tempting for Mariner to to want to join her ship. Um, but, you know, that's never going to work because Mariner is the star. Yeah. I, in our opening hot freaks, I thought it was interesting that the three of you were a little bit more bummed, I guess, than me about the um, lack of progress and development of Mariner's story. Because I, I think I've been kind of um, bitching about that for the past few episodes that I just want more plot development. But here I thought, I mean, I thought this was a satisfactory amount for what I need as far as, um, revelations of that particular element. Last week I was very happy with the, um, the richer, um, uh, closeness of the relationship of Boimler and Mariner that we got, uh, through the, the episode. And here we got just another little layer peeled. And it's clear that this is something they're holding on to until probably the finale or the penultimate of this season uh, for what it was that landed Mariner back as being an ensign lower decks of this ship. That's the mystery. And they don't want to reveal too much yet. But with 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 how they pair her up with uh what's her name ramsey is that right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how they pair her up with her i thought it was great to have someone from her past who is well aware of her capabilities just see how she's dropping the ball consistently and call her out on her bs 
and and we see that she whenever the situation actually arises that she needs to give a shit and make an effort she's there in an instant she steps up attacks the monster takes command tells people what to do punches out um the old captain of that other ship and she's just a complete dominant force but she has this really intimate heart to heart with ramsey where she's just like i'm not in that place yet and that's all the information I need of like, this is the first time I think she's been so telling, so direct and like revealing of like something, something hit her, something hurt her mm-hmm. in the past. And now she is, she's still trying to take her time coping with that. And and she, and Ramsey is a good friend. She doesn't like demand, give me an explanation of what happened. Let's like work through this right now. She's she just respects her space. She's like, okay, cool. Well, I I understand that. Like you know, one day if you ever come back to this, everyone will be very fortunate for it, right? So, I I don't know. I I I liked. I thought it was very rewarding at the end, where that story evolved, and I I know that we're going to get more because now I see that that's the direction. It's not just wacky hijinks of the week. It's that they are doing that progressive storyline of where Mariner is heading. So I feel that confidence and I feel much more. um, I I feel very happy about the direction of the show, I guess now where before I was. I I really love that beat too, where Mariner realizes that she knows she's capable to lead and to be this badass who Ramsey knows she is. And she can take command and save everyone like she did at the end. But she's just not ready for that responsibility. She's a reluctant hero. Yeah, I love that. I found it really relatable. I, too, am a reluctant hero, as you know. I do. You're just a reluctant ruler. (laughs) Emphasis on hero, Mike. Emphasis on hero. I, I, I like that she's not quite ready to leave her like relaxed comfort zone and step up. I I dig that. I can definitely relate to that. But I do hope we get we go deeper into why she is the way she is. I want to see her reckon more with the fact that she's just this talented, brilliant officer, but she also is this really disengaged slacker. Unlike her friend who seems to live for the opportunities that command provides her. Right. Even when those opportunities involve cleaning up waste or whatever on the frog people planet. I mean, uh, what do you guys think about her story being like the ultimate um, love letter to Ensign Harry Kim, who was an ensign for all of Voyager? (laughs) Mm. Uh, Nah, bro. (laughs) I mean, I think it's interesting because... It's, Harry Kim was a tryhard. Ma- he's more of a boy. Mike does not like Harry Kim. Mike, like Harry I, Kim, no, is, he's all right. It's like one step of a boymler to you, Mike. <laughs> hey, I, li- I like Garrett Wong. Harry Kim was fun. Uh, he was not served well by many of the writers on that show. I will say. You know, uh, Clyde. This reminds me of of a young man named Jack who once landed on an island and was a bit of a reluctant fella to take leadership over uh, the people of this island. And eventually he had to kind of let go of his worry. And Jack Shepard stepped up and helped lead the people of, of the island of Lost to... Uh, we had to go back. <laughs> and then he abandoned them, I think. <laughs> to the bridge. <laughs> he eventually abandoned them, but then he sacrificed them. Okay, spoilers. Never anyway, mind. <laughs> I hope this episode, like Grant said, is priming us this season for a deeper story and revelation about Mariner facing up to her potential and reckoning with that disparity between her potential to be a great commander and her need for this safe kind of disengaged lifestyle that she's living now, you know? Right. It's like, it's like me in college. Uh, I did really enjoy seeing Mariner and Ramsey like lock in and fight to save everyone at the end when the shit went down on the, uh, the Rubido, the other ship. I'd love to see the character of Ramsey return and see more like Mariner and Ramsey adventures. Um, I thought they were great together. She is just as like equally like powerful, badass, capable that she's an interesting friend and also like potentially a foe in a situation. Mm-hmm. Like just like 
equal in ability that I'm like, ah, it, it could go either way with whatever they want to do with her in the story, but definitely I want more of her. So we, we mixed up the, uh, the usual pairs in this episode. We kind of been complaining a little over the past few weeks that we always seem to get a Boimler Mariner a plot and a very like light, slight, fluffy Rutherford and Tendy B plot, but they mixed it up this time, which felt fresh. Uh, Boimler was with Tendy for for the most part on the the freak ship, and we had Rutherford kind of doing his own project, and he also helped save the day at the end. He had a nice big moment, and of course Mariner was with her old college buddy. I think the show really works when they change up the dynamic, and you see a lot of characters interact in new ways. Did you all appreciate these different pairings? I know there's some talk in the chat about how some people liked that, but some people thought that wasn't uh, that the potential for changing the dynamic up was there, but the show didn't really fulfill it this week. I mean, I appreciated the change up because I thought, I mean, obviously it made sense with the plot that was, was written. Um, you know, I'm always sad when we don't get to see more Rutherford and, and Tendi, but you know, it's, it is obvious that Boimler and Mariner are the the leads of this show. So they're going to always be the main plot devices, no matter who they're with. Um, and so I, I, I enjoyed it. I also thought it was just Tendi and the dog were such great little light bits of humor, especially with dealing with the, the sort of darkness of the, the farm ship, you know, and, and how at one point she's like, do you want to go for a walkie? Like she's talking to this dog, like it is a dog and it can talk back eventually. I, I found the whole dog plot line to be very, very funny. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and a great plot device to use for moments of levity throughout that. Um, and then, you know, we really didn't get to see much from Rutherford besides him getting his big save the day moment, which I'm like, if you're going to not have him be that big of a character throughout, at least he did get his like one moment to shine this episode. It is so cool to me that they are showing that these lower decks characters are pretty much as capable, if not more capable of like, taking over and leading this ship already like that Rutherford can be the one who's just relied on to quickly engineer and, and save the day facing people in, even if it is with a, a, a slight catch of mm-hmm. them being only partially faced, which is hilarious. By the way, I love the fact that it still has the beaming yeah. noise. That's just really allowed. And he's like, it's only cosmetic. I only j- I'm just a little bit off. I'm still a little bit glowing blue. Um, that was a really funny joke to me. It's- and, it's funny because you haven't experienced the terror when you're a character that you care about is literally f- trapped in between worlds. You know, it, it's this in this case, it's like, oh, this is funny. There's no emotional oh, kind of like cause. Oh, mm-hmm. all the time. <laughs> yeah. Th- that was another thing that it, it was another instance of the show, like riffing on a Trek trope, the transporter incident where there's some like, Rundlefly chaos that happens in the transporter or something like that yeah okay that's awesome but yeah just like having having him be relied upon to like step up and save the day that mariner is clearly capable of being a command level leader but she doesn't want to if if she ever she wants to turn the flip the switch she can tendy seems to be this this genius who is probably flying under the radar and people haven't just really caught on on the ship about how she can engineer um, talking dogs and whatever else. And, and Boimler is so, so um, like dedicated to everything that like he's, he goes above and beyond and he fixes everything, always finishes his tasks like way above schedule. Like they're all really efficient and, already prime for that level of leadership it seems so that makes it more fun that they're not a bunch of bumbling goof off idiots down on lower decks you know what's what's interesting about tendy is i think we all love tendy but if you think about the medical personnel on star trek they are often like the side, side, sidekick. Yeah, they're like the D-plot half the time, right? And then occasionally they get their own episode, right? Which is, you know, riveting television, I got to tell you. Um, and so <laughs> I think that what we're seeing is it's almost this 
this tongue in cheek with Tindy of like, look what amazing things that I can do that's always in the background. Like even the dog wasn't really the big plot. It was Boimler being on the ship. Tindy's on the ship and you're kind of thinking, why is she on the ship with the dog? Couldn't she have just put the dog on the ship and said, so long, (laughs) you know. She wanted to rescue the dog though. She wanted to keep her creature. Yeah. So I think it's just, there's this interesting kind of commentary about like, you've got these medical personnel, which when you think about it, right? So if you think about this as a, you know, Mike always says, this is a workplace comedy. If you think about it in the real world, right? You got your engineers, you've got your leaders, your CEOs, like who do you think usually has the toughest job? It's like doctors, right? Like this, they go through all this schooling, it's this big deal. But in Trek, it's like, yeah, you're in your sick bay and we come to you when we need something and then we leave you. So it's kind of like with Tindy, she's great, she's amazing. I wonder if we'll get more of her doing these amazing things that are off to the side. Well, the first Star Trek was, you know, back when the the heroes were the adventurers who used double fists to punch rock monsters and reptiles on planets, <laughs> right? It, it it wasn't until um, a young man named Michael Crichton came along and developed ER that we realized how good <laughs> medical doctors on TV could be and how, how much drama could be mined from that. I mean, I'm not sure of the timeline between ER and and Voyager, (laughs) but uh, I think uh, Marge pointed out that the Doctor has some of the best plot lines on Voyager. So, you know, we we get there eventually. Which Doctor? (laughs) The Doctor. The Hologram Doctor. Mm -hmm. Like Doctor. His name is the Doctor. Doctor Who? The Doctor? (laughs) His name is the Doctor. You're right. Just like the dog. His name is the Doctor. (laughs) Just like the dog. Yeah. Another reference. Clyde caught it. Okay, okay. I want to address something. Some of you might have picked up on the fact that I'm not the biggest fan of Boimler. Yes. What? Shocked. Shocked. I can't you, believe this. What up with that? You may ask, Mike, do you hate Boimler because he is pieces of you? <laughs> oh no. As Jewel might say. Well, we're gonna get we're gonna get more breakdown a, and backstory than uh, they ever give us. Do we need there. to Skype in a therapist, Mike? I can call one. There's a couch I behind me a if therapy you need session to sit today. On. There's just one right back there. You can you can sit and talk to us, Mike. Are we gonna become a Frasier podcast? Appreciate it. The answer is yes. I too can be annoying. I too can be a tryhard like Boimler. And yeah, I guess seeing that anxious neediness for approval and attention reflected back to me is not all that pleasing. I mean, I get it, but that's just part of it. I just, I just want this character to grow up and stop being kind of this one note joke loser. You feel me? But I mean, he's not a total, I mean, he was a tattletale this episode that did not help. That does not, not help the case. Bit. Not even a little bit. He, I, I mean, <laughs> to be fair, if 2020 hindsight, uh, he made the good call, right? They were actually going to land on a paradise where people were going to be cared for. Him delaying them doing a, a full-on mutiny was probably a good call. No, sure. I mean, yeah, the character's fine, and that was very Starfleet of him, mm-hmm. which is great. But I guess what I'm talking about is the show's perspective of him. He's just the dumb punching bag. Like, even though he was right, the whole point of his arc was just for us to laugh down at him. You know, I don't, I don't generally, I don't root for the guy. I don't generally interpret it that way, though. I don't Mm. never find, I mean, I find that he's, he's somewhat relatable, if not. Um, overly nervous and anxious about a lot of kind of social situations, but that's, that's also sometimes very relatable as well. Um, I, I get that he is over eager and does want to please. And at, at times his over eagerness to please is the direct contrast to Mariners. Fuck everyone. I don't give a shit. Let's burn it all down. That's what makes them, 
uh, kind of as yeah. a team up works so well for me. And I, I don't look down on either of them so much as I appreciate how they, they mix, how they blend. Right. I like to think of the, the cast as like an arrangement of maybe of who you really are and then who you'd want to aspire to be. It's like, I bet most of us are actually closer to Boimler's and we all want to be Mariner's. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, uh-uh. No, I'm a mariner. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> this is this is me when I always go. Oh, I'm a Gryffindor, and then I take those quizzes, and they're like, "You're a Hufflepuff." I'm like, "No, I'm a Gryffindor." Damn it! It's okay. We we aren't uh, using the houses that shall not be named by the terrible, f- uh, heart crushing creator of that mm. fandom. Um, mm-hmm. I did see I and I uh, tweeted it. If people need to change their Twitter bios to include what your uh, Star Trek department is and its correlation to what your old house would have been, right? I was yes, the, the of the green and silver persuasion, and so I am now of Section Thirty One. So I will claim that house. <laughs> yeah, everybody, please do that. Um, got a, some fun comments here, guys. If you're watching and you have comments, go ahead. Like Clyde said type capital P-O-D in that comment box mm-hmm. and leave us a comment and we can um, read it on the live stream. Grant? Yes. Uh, I did want to have a little bit more of a, a deeper discussion about the quote-unquote freaks uh, plotline with Boimler in that I, I mean, I think that us being going on this kind of uh, exploration of what does happen to uh, people who were um, victims of of kind of accidents or occurrences that uh, go on during um, during the exploits of, of Starfleet. Like, where do they go if they are no longer able to kind of help w- on on the ship? Um, and the the mistreatment of them. I, I thought them. The, the fact that the term freaks came from them as a little bit more of mm. of an ownership of it versus a, a pejorative like someone else was inflicting on them was was a little bit more important in that like they felt like they were being mistreated. They were being relegated. They were being called freaks and they were being pushed to the side and they were saying we're going to rise up in contrast to that was a little bit more empowering than than it just being a punchline of them being freaks for themselves um and then like how how it resolved in kind of revealing that boimler's optimist take in what starfleet is and what it promises to be to its people is that it does take care of the people that are disabled it does bring them to a place where they are going to work with people to try and rehabilitate them try and fix if they can or at least put them in a place where they can be cared for and taken care of of taken care of. And I, I mean, I, I kind of left that plot line appreciating it a bit more in those yeah. regards. That that's a very good point, but here's also, here's another point. Uh, 90% of that plot line was really intended for us to laugh at the freaks and, uh, look down on them and laugh at them. And the last two seconds was the redemption to where they get to be taken care of in a very Starfleet way in this pleasure planet. And then the whole idea that the uh, division 14 ship was this doom ship with this evil captain, with this terrible laugh, this maniacal evil laugh, who's going to um, uh, just, I don't know, hide away and torture all these poor souls was hand-waved away with, oh, that's just how I laugh, and we should paint the ship a nicer color. Right. I, By the I way, mean, happy ending. On, it was playing on a bunch of story tropes, and ultimately... Yeah, I get that, but the intention was for us to laugh along and kind of look down at these uh, disabled characters. I don't know. I mean, I put that in contrast to how we actually treat disabled people like in this country, and right. I'm like, Starfleet they're showing does take care of their people. Like here's what we're set up to kind of have our expectations of how this is going to go. They're, they're put in a, a cell. They're not communicated to, they're treated poorly. And then they, they pull back the curtain and it's, there was a terrible guy running that ship who should have communicated more. And Boimler was right about that. But ultimately they do take care of the people that are injured along the way. 
Oh, right. I mean, and, I, and, and I understand that this this is a cartoon and we're not going to get like everything we need to get out of things. But I do hope it, you know, and especially in light of the pandemic and like I've seen a lot of, uh, of disabled journalists talk a lot about how for years folks in the workforce specifically have asked for things like being able to work from home or having these different options available to you to be a part of the workforce. And it's always been pushed off as like, Oh, we can't do that. We can't do that. Like, right. And then now we can, that it's not just quite clearly we can quite (laughs) clearly we can. And so, you know, and this is obviously just scratching the surface of like a very large issue. There's, um, Oh, I'm going to blank, but I'll, I'll tweet about it later. But there's this really great author I heard um, and journalist at a podcasting conference a few years ago, and she's written a really amazing book um, with some essays from other people. And so I'll, I'll retweet her book link. But, um, you know, and and again, I hope that this episode, because it can't address things, sparks a conversation with folks and hopefully sparks something within the larger Star Trek creator universe about the equities in depictions because i don't think we only have to see people going and getting treatments like yes that is something but some people live with disabilities and that's Mm -hmm. that's just their life and there is no quote-unquote cure and we don't need to cure all disabilities um and so it would just be nice to see some some other people on screen uh, and mm-hmm. I think actually I did see, I know there is an actor in discovery who was diagnosed with something that now, uh, he needs to be in a wheelchair. And I think I saw he's been announced as a cast member for the new season. So I'm hoping this means we're finally going to get right. to see, um, someone with a disability on screen in Star Trek. So, yeah, I think Star Trek has, has fallen into, <sighs> I, I don't know. M- maybe it's this ideal of what Gene Roddenberry was originally conceiving that has just kind of run away from us. And that is this utopian kind of society where there's no hurts, there's no issues, everything looks pristine um, and clean, but is not actually inclusive. And and I think what happens is what we have is we have a very pretty version of of the future. It, it's almost like, you know, and I know no one on this show and no one who's listening does, but if you've ever watched one of those reality dating shows of any kind, right? Like, I know no one, but if assume you have, maybe you've seen a clip or a commercial. Nope. No, I've, no, I've thank maybe you, sir. gone down a binge during this. No, no, before. no one, no one here has a guilty pleasure, and <laughs> and we won't speak about it. Therefore, in case you do, you don't have to admit what it is. But if you've ever seen one of those shows, or someone has tricked you into watching one of those shows, at some point you have to think, I don't know anybody like this, <laughs> right? I don't see these people out in the real world, but yet here they are on my television looking like this is a representation of everybody. And I think at times, Star Trek has fallen into that. It's like, well, we're going to have this really incredible vision of the future that every once in a while you look and go, well, I'm kind of someone who might not fit into that because I'm not as whole. I'm not as, you know, perfect. I'm not, I'm not as idealized. And I think that leaves some gaps. My hope is that now that we're we're seeing a change with things like discovery, you know, we you know, discovery is great for a number of reasons, but one is that they continually push boundaries and go where you've been excluded from track, we're making sure that you're included, that it's inclusive. And so that's exciting, but I do think we get a bit of this like, you know, there's some people who are left out. And Mariah, to your point the most well-known kind of differently able person on Star Trek is probably Jordy mm-hmm. who was fixed, right? right? Who didn't, who, you know, who really didn't have to spend more than 30 minutes without, within his disability. Yeah. Yeah. That That's a great point. And I, and what Grant was saying, I really do like that, this show reminded us that 
Starfleet, the Federation, and Star Trek is a place where infinite diversity and infinite combination is valued. Mm -hmm. And those guys were treated to a pleasure planet. You know, that was that was great. They took care of them. Um, I'm going to run through some of these comments real quick. Uh, talking about the references, Marge says, the tendril creature in this episode was like mm-hmm. the one in Enterprise Vox Sola episode, which apparently the our patrons watched last night on our Slack group uh, and also on TNG Farpoint. Yeah, it did remind me of the, the jellyfish entity in the first episode of TNG Farpoint. It also kind of reminded me of the crystalline entity. It's kind of a mishmash of those things. Definitely pulling on those old tropes again. Mike, are, are you saying that if you go to patreon.com slash Star Trek pod and make a $2 per episode pledge, you could join these people in doing these watch-alongs? You know what? That's the best point you've made all night, sir. <laughs> <laughs> on rare occasion, I can make a good point. <laughs> yes, I am saying that. Uh, James Worm, talking about Jordy. Um, I would compare Jordy to a deaf person with a cochlear implant. And that visor was cool, but it wasn't accurate human vision. It always gave him headaches. That's true. He did suffer. Um, he did suffer on and off with the visor. I, I think that is similarly, true. they show with like Rutherford, he's got this implant uh, for his eye, and it has some side effects that suddenly he will kind of glitch out and, and have a, a peculiar reaction to. So, but I also it, it think- isn't without its... Yeah. Well, but I think in both those cases, the other side of that coin is it also makes both of them kind of superheroes, right? Like in Rutherford's mm-hmm. case, like he could, you know, it's an enhancement and he can all of a sudden do all this other stuff. And in Jordy's case, every like, you know, 15 episodes or so, he sees something in a spectrum that nobody else can see. It's kind of like when... Uh here you go. Here you go, Clyde. It's kind of like uh, in Marvel when they uh, first introduced Daredevil into the comics. And like, because they wanted to, uh, Stan Lee wanted to be like, hey, you know what? Blind kids, you can have a superhero as well that can do incredible things. And it's 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 all about being able to see yourself and have that representation in the these kind of mediums. And, and like Mariah was saying, like discovery seems on top of that is and it's just uh, putting characters in more and more to kind of broaden the scope and just bring people into into the family and I think it's wonderful mm-hmm. indeed yeah there's something really you know there's something powerful about seeing people who look like you on screen like and it's when when you don't see it for so long and then you do it's it's crazy emotional yeah. in weird ways but <laughs> Yeah, and Star Trek has been great at that mm-hmm. consistently and, and getting better. And I think we'll see more diversity as the uh, as the franchise continues mm-hmm. to give us more and more shows. Yes, and on a uh, yeah. much, much lighter note, I, it was like very early on in the chat, but Chupi said the dog literally went to the farm and it made me giggle. So thank you, Chupi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It flew away to the farm. As Mariah pointed out, about um, our our changing of houses now being our, our Starfleet uh, sections or whatever they're called. Um, what would you guys be? Would you be Command, Science, Ops, Section 31? Is medical just kind of rolled into science? I don't even know. I think, I think it was, yeah. yeah, the options. They were the same colors. Yeah. So what would you guys identify with? The colors with? do match. Hmm. Tough, tough question. Lower decks all the way. Lower decks. <laughs> <laughs> Unsorted. So, okay. I mean, Mariah's, Mariah's clearly already said she's going to be section 31. Yes. Having, in a previous life, do- dove into this a bit, it's easy to say something like command, but often command starts out something else, right? So you typically are science or medical or kind of the tactical security error you know you know occasionally you'll i guess you could start off as like navigation or helmsman as an ensign but usually some something else so i would probably say 
I might start off as I want to say science, but that gold looks so hot. I'd probably go like kind of the the security route and then make my way to command. That's how I'd do it. Cool. Maybe I, that's I'm how gonna, I, I have done it. I don't know. I, I'm full on um, Harry Mud scoundrel. That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> That's not a rank, sir. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> did, did you hear my uh, TV pitch when we did that episode? He was gonna be folded in. He was gonna be. Uh, That's right. A, a consultant. That a That's right. Yeah. That's right. Harry Mudd, scoundrel consultant. Consultant class. <laughs> Very nice. Um, and stress free K. The farm was division fourteen. Mm-hmm. Some, oh, they right. asked in the comments. Mm-hmm. So, just to clarify. Yeah. Uh, I did like that we saw the, I think you mentioned this, Mariah, that the lead of Division 14 was an Edozian, mm-hmm. which we've only ever seen on the original animated series, mainly the character of e- Erix, who was part of the Enterprise crew in that amazing cartoon. It's great. I, <laughs> right. I think he, uh, I think he took the place of Chekhov, right? Because Chekhov wasn't on the animated yeah. series. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Uh Tweet Baron von Grant. If oh I no! Am. <laughs> what, what what species was the General Grievous looking character that was the the oh, the, the head the, of that ship? What? With the, with, that's what oh, we're talking that's about. The Adosian. Mm-hmm. He Adosian. he was yeah. Adosian too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. Now I get it. The General Grievous. He did, did. kind of look he like really Grievous. Did. He, yeah. he just needed like twenty lightsabers. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, that was fun. Um, anything else to say about this episode, guys? I think it bodes well for the the final few episodes of this season. I think this is opening the possibilities of the trajectories of our main four characters, and I'm excited about it. Yeah, I, um, I'm excited for the rest of the season. The next episode also looks good. It looks like we're getting a continuum of this plot line because we see more of the black bodysuits uh, for the crew. <laughs> so I'm excited to see what that looks like. And then I'm, uh, I'm so surprised you didn't bring up all of the Deep Space Nine references in this episode, Mike. Oh, yeah? Like what? Uh, like when Ramsey flips uh, Ransom after he tries to buy her a drink in reference to to major kira if she says if you don't take that hand off my hip you'll never be able to lift a glass with it again i mean that's a reach it's from <laughs> the sure. very first episode of deep space nine yeah reach <laughs> that happens How in like I doing every deep movie space nine references <laughs> i didn't have time to look that shit up okay <laughs> But it's Kira in Deep Space Nine. This is your perfect like, like your diagram. Is... From the very first episode of DS9, which I haven't seen in like 15 years. I guess yes. I, I did just watch it. So <laughs> I, lo- I love how Boimler Mike just says, nah, that's a reach right away. <laughs> well, I, I did notice that you guys uh, did talk about how the... The main antagonist in last last week's episode was, oh, he's this guy who's been on Star Trek playing characters every now and then. Yeah, they brought him back, whoever he is. My friends, that is General Martok from Deep Space Nine. <laughs> there it is. Played by the great J.G. Hertzler. What the fuck? Get it right. All right. Thank you so much for joining the pod this week. Remember, you can find us live on YouTube every Thursday talking Trek. And of course, we'll be covering Lower Decks Every single week, three episodes left. After that, we'll be covering Discovery Season 3 when the series returns in October. We have exactly four weeks left, y'all. It's exciting. Four weeks. All and right. uh, just a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us, rate us, and review us over on Apple and at StarTrekPod.co. And if you, like we said, multiple times, join us at that $2 an episode pledge. Uh, You can join us for the watch alongs. You can get access to all of our Patreon bonus content. And we are eventually going to finish watching the Kelvinverse movies. (laughs) (laughs) Don't believe promises. One to go. And just a reminder, you can listen to us um, kind of on Apple Pod. But make sure that you tell all your friends to subscribe to us on Twitter, on Instagram, at Star Trek Pod. Um, you can tweet about the episodes, let people know that we're, we love Trek, we're funny. 
you know, Grant's, oh, no, no, no. Grant's, Grant's a little weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of weird lost much. references. A lot of weird lost. Kind of smart, kind of. Yes. <laughs> but accessible. Even that's a bit much, isn't it? We're, we're like your friends that you would want to talk to Trek about or talk about Trek with. So that's us. If but you, tell people. And as, eh. as always, you know, there are two people that really help us out on our socials. Karen, who runs our Twitter. James Worm, who helps out on our Insta. Thanks, James. Thanks, Karen. Thank you. Yay, thank you. Come hang with us. <laughs> uh, again, thanks, guys, for joining us on the pod. Clyde, where can we follow you online and hear more at from Twitter, you? Twitter, you can find me at Clyde Haynes. And then on the web, you can find me at www.keyandclyde.com. That's K-E-I and Clyde.com. Mariah. And I'm at Mariah Gossett on all platforms. That's Mariah with a Y and a Gossett with two S's and two T's. Grant Davis. Uh, I do a beer podcast. You can check that out. Thebeerist.com on Mondays. Uh, Occasionally I'll pop on the TV dudes. Those come out on Fridays. You can follow me at Baron Von Grant. All right. My Venmo is at Mike (laughs) M. Garcia. Uh, You can find me on Twitter as well. At Mike M. Garcia. Live long. Uh, there we go. And prosper. Bye. Better. Give Mike that money. <laughs>